Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night cheer. Sincerest apologies for last week. Unfortunately, we're not able to give a cheer. Matzim Kipper. As much as we wanted to, unfortunately, we were not able to. Tonight, Chalamayit Sukkis, Chalamayit. We are Zeichet to be back with a shir, and of course dedicated to the Nishmas, the Shalamis. Also dedicating tonight's shir to Gabriel Yaakov and Ezra Ben. I have to get back to you on that name. Um, in a second, we'll tell you who. There we go. Um, uh, maybe not. Oh, here we go. Sorry, Cheskolezer and Gabriel Yaakov. <coughs> Who's Yad Tzadim Yad Shem is coming up on Hishana Rabba. This week's year, of course, is we're not looking at a upcoming Shabbos, as um, this Shabbos is not. A parsha of a parsha of its own. So ordinarily, this would be the last Shabbos of the year of the parshias. Hence, being Zayis Habracha. However, Zayis Habracha is read on Simchas Torah. So, therefore, this Shabbos is Shabbos Kalamoid which has its own dedicated Kriya Satera to it. And we now find ourselves in the week of Chalamet, the second day actually of Chalamet, thank you. Chalamet Sukkis. Sukkis, we spoke briefly, unfortunately. We didn't have much time to talk about it, but last year was basically dedicated to Yom Kippur. Sukkis is an interesting Yom Tif. Firstly, its name itself is interesting. Um, stop a Jew in the street and say, No, are you ready for Sukkis? And the answer 90% out of, 90% of the time is... Either I did or I did not yet purchase my lulav and esrik. So when you talk about sukkahs, generally, welcome Scranton. I got married to Scranton, Pennsylvania. 
Um, yes, we tried to call you. We missed you. Now you're calling us back. Hold on. Now we're running into technicals. Okay. Um, as we said tonight, is Kalamayit Sukkot, and therefore the shear is being given from the sukkah, rather from the rather than the study. Sukkot, as we said, is an interesting yomtiv. Because when you ask somebody what they are, they ready for sukkahs, they refer to their lulav and their esrog. They don't refer to the actual edifice of their sukkah always, and they definitely don't refer to even the noyes sukkah. Those who prepare and put beautiful decorations in their sukkah, which is not many chabad, of course, but though the rest of the world does, they prepare and they go really out of the way, and people go really beautifully, beautifully decorated sukkahs um, tradition had it in the olden days of those people who used to, when we used to live in Barra Park that we'd go to the Bava sukkah to see the amazing, amazing decorations they put up and um, in other places I know in Europe people would always go sukkah hopping it was a nice, beautiful tradition even in Barra Park they would go sukkah hopping and which everyone would go see each other's sukkah. So obviously everybody wanted to make sure that their sukkah was something proud to be presented, <coughs> proud to show off. And therefore people really, really put a lot of oomph into their sukkah preparations. It was generally left for the youth. Um, adults had maybe perhaps their pet things that they would put up, the Yashpizen signs or the uh, other spiritual things they would put on their walls or hang from their schach. But on a general basis, the uh, different decorations or sukkah decorations were created by the children. Ultimately, of course, it became commercialized and people would purchase at a phenomenal, phenomenal prices, little chandeliers, and sometimes these chandeliers became real chandeliers. <coughs> and everybody outdid everybody else, Baruch Hashem, because they're doing the noyes sukkah. They want their sukkah to actually be beautiful. Um, but ultimately, when we ask somebody, are you ready for sukkahs, they don't tell you if all their decorations are up. They don't tell you if their sukkah is fully standing, if everything is ready. They don't tell you if the wife is screaming at them, the sukkah is not swept yet, etc. Interesting halacha. Somebody asked me this afternoon, as we were constructing a sukkah in the Brooklyn Children's Museum, on Brooklyn Avenue, if anybody's going to go there the next day or two in Chalamayd, you should know there's a beautiful sukkah upstairs. It's not even be the evidence. Three beautiful full walls. Um, and everything, and uh, you can definitely—it's definitely better making a bracha in there than eating out out of under a roof somewhere. Um, so one of the women asked me, "Are you allowed to build a sukkah on Chalamayit? Isn't it possible if you build it after Erev Yom Tov?" <coughs> now. I explained to her, of course, that it's an interesting point that she's bringing up, and it's a point from the Mata Ephraim, 
who is a very big Pesach, of course. And the Matafraim explains as follows. If your sukkah was not a kosher usable sukkah in the beginning of Yom Tev, then your sukkah is possible. Now what does that mean? The entrance of Yom Tev, the beginning of Yom Tev is the beginning of Yom Tev is Shkia Sachama Erev Yom Tev. Sunset Erev Yom Tev is when Yom Tev goes in. For those under the impression, it's actually before Shkia Sachama, it's actually candle lighting time. But by Shkia Sachama, the sukkah has to be totally usable. By usable, we mean that you can sit in the sukkah and eat in your sukkah as any other day of sukkahs. There are those that have the right size sukkah or the capacity of their sukkah that they can cover their sukkah when it's raining. So the sukkah and the furniture does not get wet. And of course the noise sukkah doesn't get ruined. Those that have that custom and they have this what's known as a schlock, a cover, If they put the shlak over the sukkah on Erev Sukkis and they don't remove that shlak until they come out at night to eat their meal, they may not use their sukkah. That sukkah is psula. During the time of Knisa Sachag, as it is called, the sukkah needs to be totally usable. So therefore, however, based on that you would ask, perhaps, if you're building that sukkah on Erev Sukkis, if you're building using Akhalamoid, then obviously that sukkah was not usable when this Yamtiv came in. But also that sukkah was not existent. You couldn't make that sukkah possible at that time. The essence of the shlak being on the sukkah at that time makes the sukkah possible. And therefore, if you do construct a sukkah thereafter, not that night, of course, because you can't build it on Yom Tif, but if you were to construct a sukkah, for example, on Chalamoid, there would not be a problem with that sukkah. The Yom Tif of Sukkah is celebrated, of course, as we mentioned, by sitting in the Sukkah, and by Simcha. It's Zman Simcha Seinu, therefore referred to, Zman Simcha Seinu, therefore the Yom Tif was celebrated with joy, with happiness, with a ceremony known as Simcha's Beis HaShaiva. But I became tangential there, and I left lost out I need to return back to the point that I was coming up to. The Yom Tev, therefore, is referred to as Sukkah. Unlike, it's not being referred to as Lulav and Esrig, which when we say, oh, are you ready for Yom Tev? The person says about his Lulav and Esrig, 
person does not talk about the actual sukkah. So if that's the case, why do we call the Yom Tov sukkah and not call it Lulav Esrig, Lulav Ve'esrig, or something of the sort? The Mesechta itself that talks about the Yom Tov is also referred to as Mesechta Sukkah. There's a painter called Lulagazel, etc. Which talks about what happens if a sukkah, if a lulu belonged to a person, didn't belong to a person, was stolen, was borrowed, the ramifications, the laws, etc. Why call the Yom Tov Sukkah if we are so interested in the Lulav and the Esrik as well, or the mitzvah that we do is the Lulav and the Esrik. The Sukkah, unlike the Lulav or the Esrik, unlike Tefillin during the year, or unlike most any other mitzvah, the Sukkah involves not a person's arm, leg, head. The sukkah involves the person's entire essence. When a person comes into the sukkah, they are surrounded with four walls, a top, a roof, and a bottom, a floor. This is because this sukkah now enclothes them totally, and therefore they become one with the sukkah. What is this sukkah teaching us? What is this sukkah giving us as a lesson? The lulav and the esrik, as we may know, represent the four types of Jews. There were four types of Jews. There were the Jews, there are the Jews, that have Torah study, Torah knowledge, but they unfortunately do not do any mitzvahs. They don't fulfill any commandments. Then we have the Jew that does commandments but doesn't understand why, what, or when, and doesn't learn anything about them. Then we have, of course, the Jew that does both. He learns Torah and he practices. And then we have, unfortunately, the Jew that does neither. Echman al-Tzlan, yet. Nobody does neither forever. When one does neither, it's only yet and eventually in Hashem we have complete faith that one day they will be doing Terah Mitzvah. The four minim of the Lulav and the Yasrik are the same. One of them has both a scent and a taste. The esrog, of course. One has neither scent nor taste, the willow. One has scent but no taste, the hadas. One has taste but no scent, the lulav, or the dates that grow from the lulav. Hence we are taking the four types of Jews and we are telling you it is Sukkot. We are all brought together as one. There's no discrimination and no Jew is told that you cannot 
do the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrik because you are not fit, you are not holy enough, or whatever God forbid one might say. Because everyone fits the mold when it comes to doing the mitzvahs. Hence the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrik is a beautiful mitzvah which unites the four groups of people. Sukkah in turn has a different message. And the Sukkah's message, unlike the Lulav and the Esrik, which we bless in the morning, we take the two together, a righty of course, take this Lulav in his right hand, make the bracha and then take the esrog and shake them. Or according to some customs, they take the lulav in their right hand, they hold the esrog upside down, make the bracha and then turn it up and then shake them. Or whatever customs you may have or been taught. How you bless the lulav and esrog in the morning, the al-natilas lulav. But that's done once in the morning. And although at that moment one may be inspired and one may think and say and feel ooh I am uniting every given Jew by me doing what I am doing no Jew is secluded all Jews are one (coughs) beautiful, inspirational but unfortunately temporary Temporary to the moment that you are holding the four species together. Whether it be during the blessing or whether it be during the service, the prayer of Hallel, which again, those who daven in Shul have a, another connection with the Lulav and Esrik and they shake them in different directions. Or whether it be with the Heshainis when they go around the Sefer Torah, the Bima. No, that's not called Makif and Dabina. I said the Bima. We go around the Bima. Correct, yes. Um, sukkah doesn't do that. When we come into the Sukkah, we are learned, we are taught, we are shown, we are inspired that we are surrounded by mitzvah. We are totally enveloped within this mitzvah. The mitzvah of sitting in a sukkah. The bracha, Shekidishanu Bimitzvaisa you've commanded us to sit in the sukkah to eat during the seven days, can be made multiple times throughout the day. <coughs> Each time someone will eat something. Each time someone enters the sukkah to eat something or to drink something valuable, for example, a cup of wine the person will make the bracha leishiba sukkah. Hence, we already find a difference between sukkah and lulav and esrig, in that it can be done all day long. But the Rebbe tells us, no, it goes further than that. This sukkah envelops us throughout our day, whether we are actually sitting in our sukkah or not. By the simple fact that one is constantly reminded about his sukkah because we don't eat or drink outside of our sukkah. 
So those who don't eat or drink outside the sukkah, and they are walk, walking on the street, or journeying, or going on a trip, driving or sitting in their office, and they don't, God forbid, have a sukkah with them, there are those that are lenient, and they have different allowances for that. But the chassid, many chabad, we don't even drink water out of our sukkah. So the sukkah constantly reminds us of the it being enveloped among, within the mitzvah. The sukkah gives us a constant reminder of how we have to be attached to the mitzvah. And all the things that the sukkah stands for, whether it be the walls, whether it be the schach, and the different hints, and the different connotations, and different spiritual connections that each and everything in the sukkah gives us. Schach is a gematria 100. For the 100 brachas that one needs to make during the day, and many other different things that are connected via the number 100. And each thing in the walls, each thing has its own connection, direct spiritual, very, very high spiritual connection with God. And therefore, when we leave our sukkah, we are constantly reminded of the sukkah and what it stands for. And that's why the Yom Tov is referred to as sukkahs, which is a mitzvah that stays with us throughout the day of the seven days, and not any of the other mitzvahs. For example, the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrig, etc. This week was the yard of a man who the Rebbe referred to as his partisan. The Rebbe's partisan, very special chassid. Oh, but I didn't have time today to go get you. Maybe if maybe if I have time tomorrow. Why don't you ask Abba to you? I will see, we'll see. I'll talk to you. Okay, Chelsea. Chelsea wants his own little ministry. And he should have one. Because he wants one. The Bzusha Partizan was a very powerful man. He would collect money for the maesters. Very few people were able to tell him no about anything. He was just a good scat. He was a good man. And in the Shamash heaven, Aliyah, he should be a good better for the Kali's So, Abzusha said, when a friend of his, Rabbi Gerari, died, Nelson Gerari died, Anyam Kippur, 
during Kol Nidre in Shul, he just passed away. He said of him, eh, it was not such a big thing to die on Yom Kippur in Shul. To me as a chassid, even in the courtyard of the Rebbe, is holy enough. And lo and behold, they were dancing all night outside on the streets of Crown Heights. And when the dancing came up to 770, he went out to the sukkah to the rest to get some air. And as he sat down on the sukkah, he passed away. Fulfilling his wish, basically. And showing how important his connection to Hashem and to the Rebbe is. Ibzusha, during the war, suffered greatly. And as a partisan, went to war, went to fight the Germans underground-wise was quite bold like the rest of the partisans were and of course as the older partisans knew you never knew when you were coming back alive firstly not all the partisans were Jews of course and therefore you didn't know who you were side by side with and you didn't know when the guy next to you would decide to shoot you instead so it was a challenge But it was something that some people took to do and didn't ask any questions. And Abzusha was one such person. Abzusha took and developed a great friendship with the man Reb Moshe, Chassid. And here Reb Moshe carried out many, many missions. Now with missions you would think that they what could they have done already? There's two Alta Yidin. Zusha wouldn't talk much about the war because he saw his mother and his sister killed before his eyes. And ever talking whenever he talked about it, it would bring back the memories which were very hard for him to <coughs> relive. But he was um, there's one story he did recount was that he was walking in a field once with the Moshe and unfortunately a enemy plane, a German plane spotted them now spotting them knowing of course that these were partisanim either they saw their weaponry or whatever it was that they saw on them they started showering, sh- showering them with missiles probably not missiles, probably bullets and as the bullets rained down on them they dodged this way and that to try to avoid of course to try to get away for whatever it was worth and there was only one way of escaping this is of course getting into the marsh 
once you got into the marsh, it was a thick, overgrown piece of land, and perhaps, perhaps, you'd get away with it. Because the overhead wouldn't be able to see you. And that's where they headed. And they ran their way in there. And... As they ran inside, the overhead, the uh, air, the luft hansas must have alerted the ground patrol. And a short time later, the ground patrol was swarming the area. This was not good for anybody. But, you got to do something quick. And they took underwater, practically. Abzusha and Mesha, they were basically emerged into the water up to their necks at least, and every so often under the water so the dogs didn't pick up their trail. It got to a point, though, where Mesha could not hold out any longer. He said, he just can't anymore, I can't. Abzush told him, you have to, you must, you have to keep it up. We need to win. We need to conquer. And you'll stick around and you will see our victory. These words of encouragement, (coughs) these words of reminder, what they were really doing here, what they were really looking for, the revenge, and the victory that they were striving for is what kept the Moshe alive. Later on in the war again, he broke out. There was a typhus, typhus epidemic. And again, the Moshe broke out with that. And again, Abzusha saved his life literally from typhoid with these same words. Remember where we are doing what our mission is. We need to see the victory. It's a little break, actually. Um, tradition is that during the week of Sukkis, as we said, is Mansim Chaseinu. It was tradition to drink a revius of wine, approximately three and a half ounces of wine on a daily, every day. Those who do so anyway, Ashrechem, shows great for your heart. French say it's fantastic. Um, the Chassidim say it's as good as eating chalant every day both eating chalant and drinking wine every day for 120 years guarantees you longevity um, anyone that does do it for 120 years and doesn't live long please call me I have a remedy for that what, is it, what does she say? I have a diagnosis for that? I have a diagnosis for that yes ok so Baruch Atah this week as we said it's the week of Simchas Beis Sheva. More importantly, 
is the year of Hakel. The year after Shemitah, <coughs> which is referred to as the year of Hakel. Tomorrow evening, there will be a very, very, very large Hakel <coughs> outside 770 Eastern Parkway. Hakel, as we may know from the Teda, is for the men, the women, and the children. The men, of course, needed to come to hear the Torah reading from the king. <coughs> the women needed to support, and of course, also to be there, to be for the inspirations. And the children came along so that they could give merit to those that brought them. We've discussed this before. Hakil, of course, as we also talked about, is something that we gather all our attributes, all our midas, and we bring them all together, we are makhil them, even in the time we're not standing in the Holy Temple, as they stood in the Holy Temple to hear the reading from the king of the Torah of Chumash Devarim, so that they be inspired as they were inspired by Matanzer and Harsinai. This was the same fear, the same awe, inspiration as was then, and this is therefore an extremely, extremely important mitzvah. Even today's day and age, when we are unfortunately not yet in the Holy Temple with the King reading the Torah to us, we need to take all the lessons and all the lifelong lessons and all the strength and all the inspirations that we can gather from this day, from this time, from this era, from this mitzvah. Silchus Beis as we may know it, Rambam it says, the order of Simchas Beis Hasheva, Simchas Beis Hasheva, look in Rambam Hilchas Lulav Perik Ches Halachi Yud Beis. Hasayd of Simchas Beis Hasheva Hoya, the order at Simchas Beis Hasheva was Shalei Hoyu Eisim Eisa Ameoretz, an ignoramus could not do the the action. They were not in the action, as they say it, for the Simchas Beis Hasheva. Not even the ones. Ella, who actually did the dancing and the singing? the great sages of Israel, the yeshivas, the heads of the yeshivas, Hasan Hedrin, the judges, people of stature. Those are the ones that were involved. Vilu, however, all the people, the men and the women, would come to hear and to see. Excuse me. So in essence, everybody was involved in their own way. But the mission of the simple folk was to come. Their participation was by seeing and being inspired by the joy that was being 
radiated from those that were obligated to do so. We have to understand what's going on here. Because after all, let's be realistic. This simcha that one has doing a mitzvah is a tremendous thing. It's a tremendous level that one reaches, one ascertains, when they have joy for doing a mitzvah. And so much so that if somebody refrains, they hold themselves back from doing mitzvahs like this, they're punishable for it. So if Simchas Beis HaShavu was something, was a mitzvah, that was done and given for us to be able to appreciate and to love mitzvahs, how do you hold back everybody from participating? It should be a mitzvah. Everyone should be able to participate. Why limit it only to the prestigious? We can explain this, though. The obligation of the simcha is seda. Where did this extra simcha take place? Only in the Beis Hamikdash. It says in the Teda, Pashas Emer, in Chumash Vayikra Leviticus, chapter twenty-three, verse forty, Perik of Gimel Pasuk Mem, Hashem Where was the Sumachtem? Where did it take place? Lefnei Hashem Aleikechem. Whenever we refer to Lefnei Hashem Aleikechem, this refers to in the Holy Temple. And since that was the situation, it wasn't possible for everyone to actually participate in the actual action. In essence, though, the mitzvah, the commandment that we have when one enters into the Holy Temple, again, in following a verse in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 30, Pedic Yutes Pasagimel in Pasha Kedoshim, when it's where it says that Umigdoshai Tiro, my temple, you should fear. Now let's call a spade a spade. When someone is rejoicing, someone says Lachayim with a cup of wine, and they are happy, and they are singing, and they are dancing, they most definitely lack the concept of fear. Because joy and fear are total opposites of one another. Therefore, who was given the task to carry out such a oxymoron, carry out such a two opposite emotions at one, the, the emotion of joy and the emotion of fear at once, only the G'day L'Chachmi Yisrael, the great ones, the prestigious ones. Because they were able to stand on both attributes together. Both extremes together. They're two different extremes. Two opposite extremes. The fear factor and the joy factor are two opposite extremes. But yet the Chachmi Yisrael, the G'day Yisrael, had the capacity to deal with both as one. 
and therefore it was them that was chosen to deal with the Simchas Beis HaSheva to actually do the task of the Simchas Beis HaSheva but the regular folk that could not put the two together these two opposite attributes they came to see and to hear and to be makabel to accept and to be inspired by the joy of these great sages and this is what we learned today where it says our downfall is our repair is what fixes us we don't have the temple today unfortunately yet we will tonight but right now we don't and therefore the obligation of Simcha the Chagatsukas is everywhere, we need to do it wherever we are we need to rejoice and that's an obligation on each and every Jew not only the sages one needs to be rejoicing in Simcha's Beis HaSheva and not only is Simcha where the person feels it within their heart but like the Rambam says, Merakdim, Umesavkim, Umenagmin, Umesamchin, one needs to go all out. A simcha which takes us, envelops us, head to toe. And this is the simcha, which is our now our obligation, since we are unfortunately not in the Holy Temple. We just need, we only have the concept of simcha itself, although we have to fear God, but not as fear as we have when we are in the Holy Temple itself, and therefore we are not obligated to actually mix the two emotions together and combine the two emotions together. But the concept of mixing an emo- these two emotions together by Gidele, by Chachme Yisrael, is a very powerful thing. By understanding what a tzaddik is, by understanding how a tzaddik can actually do and say what he does and says. We come to a tzaddik for a blessing, for a bracha. And we are confident that we're going to get that bracha. And when we receive that bracha, we are confident that we will ultimately see it come to fruition. A famous story of a chassid that used to go to the Rebbe and Yechidus and a private audience and as he would come to the Rebbe in the private audience, every year at the end of the private audience, the Rebbe would wish him well. And the Rebbe would tell him, and we shall see you next year. We shall see you again. And this gave him the strength to get through the year. As he was getting older, he started to worry. Who knows what is going to happen tomorrow morning when we wake up again. But with the Rebbe giving him a bracha that will see you again, this gave him the strength to know that next year he will again celebrate his birthday and come into the Rebbe for private audience. One year, unfortunately, Yechidus concluded and the Chassid stood there waiting and waiting and waiting. And the Rebbe, unfortunately, was not wishing him we should see you again. And the tremble went through the body of the chassid, something that 
he had almost taken for granted on an annual basis and felt that this was actually keeping him alive annually. A tremble went through his body, not hearing the words coming out of the Rebbe. And finally he, he said, Rebbe, you didn't wish, you didn't bless me that we shall meet again. And the Rebbe put his head down in his hand and waited. But the Chassid would not take no for an answer and felt that if he would persist enough, he would buy himself another year by getting the Rebbe to give him the bracha. And he began to cry. And with tears flowing down his cheeks, he took his handkerchief out and was wiping. And the harder he cried, the more he begged and pleaded with the Rebbe. And finally the Rebbe said, Okay, we shall see each other again. The chassid was rejuvenated. Was re- was just... We can't tell you the description of the person's feeling. And he backed out of the Rebbe's room and he closed the holy door of the Rebbe's room. But as he got to the outside, he touched his pocket and realized, oh, I forgot my handkerchief. And he opened the door of the Rebbe's room immediately to reach back in to get the handkerchief. And the Rebbe looked up and smiled and said, you see, we meet once again. And, of course, as he understood from the Rebbe, he did not come again for the next birthday, unfortunately. So every notion of a tzaddik has tremendous, tremendous value. Not just value, but is life-changing. And it's something that we need to understand. And we need to live with as we connect to the Rebbe. Reb David of Lelev, a very holy man, needed to hire a teacher for his son, who was actually quite a bright boy. And when you hire a tzaddik like that, hires a teacher, it's not just on uh, Craigslist. You need to find somebody that's really, really worthy. I'm sorry, I'm, I, I take back, it's not Abdullah Lelov. It's Abdullah Lelov's father was looking for a teacher for Abdullah himself. Abdullah Lelov's father was looking for a teacher for Abdullah Lelov. And there was one God-fearing teacher that came, presented himself, they interviewed him, and he was accepted as a teacher. <coughs> After a week's time, Abdullah's father asked him, No, what do you see by this teacher that makes him fit to be a teacher. And so David said a very interesting thing. I noticed that every day before he starts to daven, before he starts his morning prayer, 
he does tshuva. He repents. He repents. What does that mean? He just starts to cry. He cries. That's impressive, said the father. And the father decided to get to the bottom of this. What goes on here? And he calls in the teacher. And he tells him that the son noticed that every day before davening, excuse me, he goes himself to the shul and he sees that the teacher in action himself and he puts on his talis and tzul, and right before he starts to daven, he bursts out into bitter tears and you can see the man is truly repenting. After davening, he, calls, he goes over to him and he says to him, I'm sorry for spying on you. My son had mentioned something that he noticed and he's very astute and I wanted to follow up to see what it is that he really saw if it was really substantial I wanted to substantiate it and I came and I observed and I saw that yes before you begin to daven you literally do tshuva you do cry you cry with such sincere repentance Vasilis, what is it? Where does it come from? So I'll tell you the truth. I was once in Malamid, the city where the Rebbe of Radshitz was. And the Rebbe of Radshitz gave me a bracha once that I should do tshuva. And so every day before I start to daven his bracha comes into fruition and I just burst out in tears from from repentance it just grabs me totally that's impressive but he asks him if the Rebbe of Rajas was so powerful and so great now excuse me he says what else did you see by him you obviously spent time there. Do you ever see anything else that he ever did? So I'll tell you the truth. I once saw an interesting story. There was an Aguna. An Aguna, we explained many times, the other Shirim, is a woman which unfortunately her husband left her and did not leave her yet. So the woman is now in limbo. She cannot marry. And she's considered a married woman. And she came to cry and plead in her case to the Rebbe of Ratchets. Okay. Well, when she was standing online, there was a lot, a lot of people there waiting online. And she was very bitter about her situation. She was very sad, of course. And she repeated to everybody there why she was here. So the word got to the Rebbe of Rashid's. 
what was going on here, why this woman was here. She was looking for a solution to her situation being that she's now not able or capable to remarry. The Rebbe called in his shamis, his ser- his ser- not servant, but his uh, attendant, and told him, go outside and bring in the first person you see, please. This is random. Being the first person I see, yeah, the first person you see. And he goes outside, and this Polish guy is walking by, lugging a wagon of wood. And he asks the chas, and the chas says to him, Come here, my master wants to see you. He said, I don't understand what he's saying. So he says it in Polish, in Polish. He says, my master wants to see you. He says, he wants wood. I don't know if he wants wood or not, but he wants to see you. Please come inside. So the guy comes inside. And he's talking Polish. You want wood? You want wood? The Heide Kerebe turned to his shamus. Welcome, Atlanta, Georgia. A little late, but better late than ever. The Heide Kerebe says to the shamus, tell him to give a get, a divorce. So the Shamus turns to him and says, in Yiddish, that's get my get. You have to give a get. The Polish guy, this Polish wood chopper, wood merchant, was at a loss. He doesn't understand what they want from him. And he says again, he has to get in Polish. Do you, do you want wood? And again the Rebbe says to the Shamus, Tell him I said he has to give a get. Now. Then finally the guy was playing dumb. And the Rebbe says to the Shamus, let him know that he has to give a get. The Shamus understood what that meant. The Shamus was a big strapping man. Shamus grabs this Polish wood, wood merchant by the collar of his shirt he lifts him up off the ground and put the fear of life of death into him and said the Rebbe said you should give a get the guy started trembling crying screaming in Yiddish okay 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 don't hit me I'll give a get and he gave a get. So the Holy understood and knew where this guy was, who this guy really was, and secured a get for this poor wayward woman. So the father of double the asks the Malamid, is I don't understand. 
you saw that he was such a holy man, why didn't you stay and become a chassid? I'm sorry, I didn't realize it was not. Why didn't you stay and become a chassid? So he says, a chassid of who? Says of the Rashis. He says, why? I saw him do some magic and some, some uh, hocus-pocus. That's why I should stay with him? That's how it makes me a chassid of his? At that point, the father of Zavad Elif grabs his son and said, if this guy considers the action of a tzaddik magic and hocus-pocus, he's not fit to be a malamid. We're going to go find you a new teacher. And with that... He took his son and left. I'd like to do one more point about Simchas Beis HaSheva. The reason for Simchas Beis HaSheva, the Gemara Yerushalmi, Sukkah Perekei Allah Ha'alef, for those who are keeping score at home, Amra Bishob and Levi, Dominic Rashmosh Beis HaSheva, why is it called Beis HaSheva? From there, they gather Ruach HaKedish. The Holy Spirits one knows God with. Another reason, the, the reason that this is called Simchas Beis HaSheva, says the Gemara, in other words, because they are Sheyev. They gather, like when you gather water, Ruach HaKedish, the Holy Spirit, one a prophet would need, the Holy Spirit, the same prophecy, of course. Yoyna ben Amitai, the person that we learned about, and we spoke about, and we sold the story for great amounts of money in shuls throughout the world to read the story of Yona ben Amitai, the famous story of Maftir Yona. Went to Simchas Beis Hasheva, served there, and received Ruach Hakodesh. Why does the Gemara tell us about Yonah ben Amitai? Many people went, and they all got Ruach Hakodesh. But rather, Simchas Beis Hasheva is tied with the pouring of water, and the reason that they merited that water more merited. That it was brought into onto the Mizbeach, the Gemara, the Medrash tells us that when the Almighty said, when the Almighty separated by the creation the waters of above and below, the Mayim Tachtainim cried. We want to be in front of God. We don't want to be so far away on earth. So the Almighty promised that we'll take them and we'll have Nasech Agabe Mizbeach. The waters will be poured on the Mizbech. There's also another reason why we have salt for bread and all the, all the Kabbanas. Because the salt was also taken from the water. And a hint to Mayim Tachtenim is referred to on the world. When we talk to about Mayim Tachtenim, we refer to this worldly, this world of here down below. Mayim Ayinim, of course, refers to spirituality and holiness. So the fact that we take Mayim Tachtenim and we bring them into the God and we bring it as a physical sacrifice to be spiritual and to be holy, this changes its entire essence. 
And since that's the whole idea of Sikhus Beis Sheva, to take water and do just that. And the, main, the name of Yena ben Amitai is mentioned, because that is what his name implies. The Zaya tells us, if you're going to go look it up, it's in Chelek Beis, Kufzadik Tesem Ralev, that Yena ben Amitai was the Neshama, refers to the Neshama. As it says, Leisainu, Ish Esamisei. Leisainu, referring to Yona, Ish Esamisei, referring to Amitai. One may not torture another. And the explanation is that the Neshama, which is purity and holiness and spirituality, the body, which is physical, since the Neshama is enclosed within the body, therefore we have to show we have to see that the body should not fool, should not t- hold back, God forbid, in any which way, form, or fashion, the holy neshama, from the fact that it came down onto this world, but the opposite, the neshama should attribute to the body, that the body should also become spiritual. And this is therefore the entire union of Yena ben Amitai, which is of course the union of Simchas Beis HaSheva, which is therefore why Simchas Beis HaSheva brings Ruach HaKedosh and why the Gemara refers to the example of Yonah ben Amitai over anybody else and therefore may we, may we go dancing Simchas Beit HaSheva from our present position to the streets and so that we see that the streets themselves should dance with us not we dance on the street but the, the street should not complain why are you dancing on me? But the street should get up and rise up and dance with us. And that the feet and the dancing leads into the dancing of Simchas Teda, which the dancing of Simchas Teda is the dancing of a closed Sefer Teda. A Sefer Teda we don't look into, we don't have to know what it says in there. We're not looking, we're not learning in it. We're just dancing and rejoicing with it. And we should rejoice with the ultimate Simcha. And we should dance with Mashiach Tzitkenu to Yerushalayim Irakadish on this very night. Chag Sameach to all. Shabbat Shalom and a good Yom Tiv. Shmini in Simchas Teda. Those who wish a good Kvitl for Yishayna Rabba. And we should have the good, we should be sealed in a good, happy, auspicious year.